All right, let's, uh, let me just say a quick prayer because what I'm going to be talking with you about today is probably, uh, probably the heaviest message that I've ever preached uh, here at this church. Uh, and I've been your pastor now for 26 years. But this message today is probably the heaviest message that, I will, that I've ever preached and probably will I ever preach anywhere. Uh, but I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to open our minds and open our hearts uh, because as we delve into the latter part of the Lord's Prayer, there's a lot of things that we've got to really dig into and look at today, and, and I want us to be on the same page, and I want the Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our minds to receive everything that he has for us. You guys okay with that? Amen. All right, Father, we come to you now and just simply ask you to illuminate our understanding today in our minds and in our hearts, God. Give us ears to hear, God, but also a mind to understand and a heart to grasp and hold fast your teachings to end of our lives. Be with us. Let today be a day when lives are changed. In Jesus' name. And we all said amen. amen. All right. Matthew 6, uh, 9 through 13. This then is how you should pray, Jesus said. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. We talked about that last week. On earth as it is in heaven. It's actually in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Last week, we talked about the opening praise, our Father in heaven, hallowed, resetting the holiness of God, looking upward before we get into any type of petition. Then we prayed, your kingdom come and your will be done in this earthen vessel, which is me. Your, worth, your, your, your kingdom come, your will be done in me just the same way that it's done in heaven. And then we closed out last week with give us this day our daily bread and, and understanding that we have to have faith for God's provision. Now, if we follow the, trans, the, the way this uh, progresses in the Lord's Prayer, we would go right into forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But I, I, since I have the microphone this morning, I'm gonna save that for last. And I'm gonna kind of shuffle this around. Now, I'm not taking liberties with scripture or anything. I'm just saying that I wanna end with that this morning. So let's jump to the next petition, and that is, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This petition is a petition for protection from sin and evil, or protection from the evil one, protection from Satan. Uh, the difference we've got to understand in our personal day-to-day -day discipleship and our life with Christ, trying to live the way God wants us to live, we must begin to understand the difference between testing and tempting. God doesn't tempt us with anything. James 1.13 says, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting because God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. The person that does the tempting is Satan. Satan tempts, God tests. The difference is the, the intent of the tester or the tempter. Testing, God allows testing in our life to make us better. Satan tempts us to destroy us. God tests us to make us stronger, to make us more like his son, Jesus. I remember back in the day before, before I was the size that I am today and gotten older, uh, I played a lot of ball. And I uh, played a lot of softball, a lot of baseball, even high school, played some football and, and stuff like that. And, and when you get down and you start moving toward playoff time, you always want to start playing up. You always want to start playing up a division, play up, play up a, a, a category so that you want to play people better than you are so that your skills get better. If you play down, your skills deteriorate. You're not finding out anything about yourself because here's the real deal, guys. You don't learn a thing 
when you win. You got to take a whooping. You got to lose from time to time to learn things that you need to learn. If you're, if you're a, a, a cross-country guy, a, a, a track and field type person, and you're a sprinter, guess who you want to run against? You want to run against someone that's a second or so faster than you are, and your time will be better than it's been before. Why? Because there's something that you're chasing. The reason God brings tests into our life is to make us better, to move us to a different level, to bring us to a different plane with him, to help us understand that it is through testing and it is through trials that we become more like Jesus, that our faith becomes something that is as pure gold. It's not something that, that's wood, hay, or stubble anymore. Now we're building on something that God says, I will grow you to a different place in me if you'll allow this test to be a, be a part of your life. Satan, on the other hand, when he tempts us, his entire intention is to destroy. His main focus, to steal, to kill, and to destroy through deception. When we're tempted, making us believe that there's no other way out of this, that I, that I feel strongly about this, and I feel this lust, that I'm, I have this urge, I have this thing, this pull toward this thing, and the way God made me, I think if, if God made me this way with these feelings, then I must be able to, I should be able to go that way, and God be okay with it. And God goes, no. No, that's the temptation. And the temptation comes and the lie begins. It says, well, you wouldn't be having these feelings if God didn't give them to you. And if God gave them to you and he said everything is good, then, then you've got to go with these feelings. And that's the, that's the problem with the argument that we have today. Whether your argument is, is uh, uh, this or that, the bottom line is we have to go back to the standard of Scripture and go, what does the Bible say about how we live? Well, I was born this way. Guess what? That is an irrelevant statement. doesn't matter how you were born. What matters is how God says we live. Okay? This is how God says live. When it comes to temptation, Satan's desire is to deceive you, help you, make you believe that the way you're feeling and the way you're bent is the way that you, that you have to be. There are testings in our life that are a part of the normal life and the life of a disciple, just like there was in the disciples of Jesus Christ when they walked on this earth. We all have these times of testing in a world that does not share the same values that we do who try to live biblically. Jesus prayed this prayer for his disciples. I'm not praying that you take them out of this world, God, but that you protect them from the evil one. Why wouldn't the son of God look for his disciples and go, Daddy, get them out of here because they can't, they're not going to be able to stand what's coming down the pike. He didn't pray that. He prayed for his disciples. He said, I'm not asking you to remove them from this world. But yet, what do we try to do as Christians? We try to remove ourselves from the world. I want to work around nothing but Christians. I want to go to school with nothing but Christians. And I'm not, I'm not downing Christian education at all. Believe me, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, if Jesus didn't want his disciples removed from this world, why are his kids trying to do it today? If all the light moves out of the world, where's the light? There's nothing but darkness left. Jesus prayed, protect them from the evil one. Protect them from the evil one. Our prayer could be something like this. When we pray to the Lord, Lord, help me. Lead me away from the things that might tempt me. Help me recognize my own shortcomings in these areas and flee from the very appearance of evil. Please help me not think about whatever the things that I shouldn't be thinking about. Help me not want that thing or fail like that again. That could be our prayer. 
being cognizant of our shortcomings, being cognizant of our weaknesses, being cognizant of the places that we are bent to, to failure, that we're bent towards sin. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You say, well, if God would just deliver me from, this, from these feelings and these desires, then I wouldn't have this problem. You, wouldn't also, you also wouldn't be a human being. Now, there's going to be a time when you won't have those problems. Not on this earth, but there's going to be a time. When you see Jesus, whether it's through the rapture of the church, well, when's that going to happen, Phil? I have no idea. Well, are you pre, post, or mid? I am pan. I am pan. I believe it's all going to pan out in the end for those of us that love Jesus. All right? You can argue that stuff all day long. I am not going to mix it up with doubtful disputations. I'd really, if I had my preference, it'd be today. But the truth of the matter is, we don't really know. The only one that does is Jesus. Actually, the only one that knows is God, the Father. He's going to tell the Son, the Son's going to come get us whenever that is. So here's my thought to you for that, and then I'll move on. Just stay ready. Live every day as if Jesus is going to come in the next 60 seconds. Okay? If you do that, it'll change the way you think about some stuff, and you might not do some of the things you're doing and act the way you're acting sometimes. And that goes for me as well. I might not say some things that I shouldn't say sometimes if I get that wrapped around my head. Okay, the last thing, then he closes the prayer with this. For yours is the kingdom of power and the glory forever. Amen. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Do you know that some translations leave this out? Leave this out. Some say that, that the doxology was added later. But here's the problem with that. And I've, I've done a tremendous amount of research with this, trying to figure out why some translations have it, why some don't, why one, Matthew has it, Luke doesn't. You know, and what's the deal with that? And here's what I found out. Of the earliest trans of the 50 earliest manuscripts that we have of this prayer, 42 of them have this line in it. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. 42 of the 50. Only eight leave them out. Now, what does that tell us? It tells us there's a 42 out of 50 chance that Jesus actually said those words. Pretty good odds. So should we discard it and just say it was added later? No, we have to recognize it for what it is. The oldest manuscripts, 42 out of 50 say this, is, was, it, this was in the original speaking of Jesus. It's referred to as the doxology or closing. What does it do? It simply ends the prayer with an upward focus again. We spent, we spent the last those three petitions. We've been dealing with those petitions, you know, you know your will in me. God, let me, let me have your will in my life. And this vessel, give me today my daily bread. Forgive me of my sins, my debts, as I forgive my debtors. You know, lead me not into temptation. All of these things that we prayed, and now he says, now turn it back upward. Praise and worship to God, the Holy One, who is King and Lord of all. Praise the God who is. Praise him for, because he's holy, as we said in the very beginning, for his kingship in our life and in the world, his power and his glory. It is his kingdom. It all belongs to him. I am free to let go of my desire, my wants, and my own kingdom because it is his kingdom and I am his child. And because I am his child, I have an inheritance waiting for me. And it's the inheritance that comes from my heavenly father. Let it close with upward. Now, 
All of that said, all directly about him, not us, not our needs, not our sins, not our service. The bottom line is this, I think, with this entire prayer. Jesus wants us to know that prayer is to be simple, honest, and humble. I talked to you about this last week. Do, you, do we pray it verbatim, Phil? Yes. Do we pray it as a model? Yes. It's not either or, it's both and. But here's the thing, here's the thing about prayer. We make it so difficult. It takes 21 seconds to pray that prayer. If you talk as fast as I do, sometimes you can pray it quicker. And sometimes when you really need it, you pray it quicker. And you pray it continuously. Here's the deal. When you pray, just talk to God. Just talk to God, just like you would anybody else. Oh, but he's God. He's like this cosmic thing. He's, no, he's right here. He's near. He's near. The psalmist said he's a very present help in trouble. Very present. Not a distant help. He's a very present help in times of trouble. So what does that mean for us? When we start talking to God, do we change? Do we, do we immediately revert to a King James type voice? You know? When we use a lot of these and thou's, thou dost love me, O God. Hear the petition of thine servant, Lord. Who talks like that anymore? God's up there going, I, what do you say? I didn't give you that language. Just talk to me in you. Jeff has to talk to God in Jeff, not James Earl Jones. <laughs> you know, Phil has to talk to God in Phil because that's how we hear God. That's how we hear God. We don't hear God in the voice of James or Val Kilmer, who was in the Prince of Egypt. He was the, you know, he, no, he talks to us in us. Most of us like James Earl Jones because he's got that Darth Vader. This is God. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to hit, your, hit the floor on your knees and slide, slide all the way down the hallway up next to your bed going, God, please help me. You just talk to God like you talk to anybody else because he hears us when we pray. Make it simple. Don't change who you are to talk to him because he saved you in you. And he saved you to stay in you, just living for him. Amen? All right. Now for the heavy one. Now for the heavy one. Right in the middle of this prayer, he says that we're to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Petition for forgiveness and healing from unforgiveness. The debts he's referring to are not monetary. I'm not talking about I owe somebody $20. But sin, trespasses, offenses. Forgive us of our sin. Forgive us of our trespasses. Forgive us of our offenses as we forgive those who have sinned against us trespassed against us and offended us. Notice he says this, forgive our sin as we forgive those who sin against us. Now, I'm going to challenge a lot of your theology in this room for the next 10 minutes. And, I, and I'm doing this intentionally. But I want to caveat this by saying this. I am a firm believer in the security of the believer. Okay? 
But I do not, by any stretch of biblical truth, believe that you're once saved, always saved. You cannot find that in the Bible anywhere. And for those of you that have held fast to that doctrine for a lot of years, don't get mad at me. Just listen. Just listen for a few minutes. Our personal forgiveness from God is absolutely connected and in proportion to our ability to forgive others who have wronged us. Luke 6, 38. Do not judge, you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, it will be given. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. We poured for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. All right? So our ability to receive forgiveness from the Lord is absolutely 100% connected to our ability to forgive people who've hurt us and wronged us of anything they've done to us. Yeah. Well, Phil, you don't know what I mean. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. There are people in this house today, there are people that are going to be watching this message on, on, uh, on, uh, on the internet over the next few weeks. Now, you have prayed prayers and you have tried to live your life and you kept hitting a ceiling and your prayers were going answered. You had found places of healing and peace in your life. And it's because, not because you don't have enough faith, but it's because you have unforgiveness in your heart that you've never, that you've never dealt with. Unforgiveness stops God's ability to bring blessings into our life, to bring peace into our life, to bring healing into our life. Unforgiveness is based in the root of bitterness. When we've been hurt and we don't turn it loose, we hold it, we hold it fast, we begin to wrap ourselves in that security blanket of, of anger and bitterness and unforgiveness. Matthew 18 gives the story. This is Jesus giving this, this parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he began to settle the account. A man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him and he was not able to pay. And the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And when the, the, the servant heard the verdict and said, you're going to have to take care of this. I'm going to sell your kids. I'm going to sell your wife. I'm going to sell everybody. He fell on his knees before him and said, be patient and I will pay back everything. And the master, the king, took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Wow. That's a great, great story of God's vast grace. Yes. If it would end right there. The problem is, there's the next piece. But, don't you just hate that word? But, when that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, he grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. That'll show him. You know, you know um, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping that it's going to kill the other person. He threw the man in prison until he could pay. Well, he's in prison. He can't pay it back. 
but he refused. Instead, he went off, had the man thrown it until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. They went and told the king everything that had happened. Then the king called the servant in, you wicked servant, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. Here's the kicker of this verse. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. But I got saved in Bible school. I got saved in, in vacation Bible school. I got saved at a youth camp when I was little. I said the sinner's prayer. I'm okay. I, once in, I'm always in. All this kind of stuff. Notice in this parable in Matthew 18, God's forgiveness is first given. Then it is withdrawn when the forgiven person fails to forgive another. Now, you do what you want to do with that. But I don't care how much exegesis you've done, you can't change what, that's, what that says. You can't find another way around that. The bottom line is this. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. The measure that you use is what's measured toward you. If my father, my uncle, my brother, my other, this, this teacher, this person in authority, they abused me, they sexually molested me, they did all these kind of things, and I can never. No. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Forgiveness is in proportion to our ability to forgive other people. Yeah, but Jesus just doesn't know, he just doesn't know how I feel. Oh, really? Really? Despised and rejected. Lied about. Beaten to within an inch of his life. Abused beyond abuse. Nailed to a cross. Crown of thorns on his head. No flesh on his back. You could see his heart beating through his rib cage. He was beaten so viciously. Blood pouring out of every orifice of his body. They're, they're walking in front of him, making fun of him, spitting on him, pulling his beard out, hitting him with their fists. They shove a crown of thorns on his head, and he's hanging there between heaven and earth. And this is one of the things that he says, Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. And yet we have the audacity to look at someone on this side, on this earth, and go, you hurt me too bad. I can never do that. I can never forgive you. I've had Christian people look me in the face and go, God's going to be okay with my, I'm never going to forgive that person. And I'm here to tell you this morning, in this room, whoever's watching on, this tele, on television, I'm telling you today, God is not okay with that. You want forgiveness? Then you forgive. Now, yes, we've got all kind of misconceptions about what, for, what forgiveness really is. Oh, I've got to go, you don't have to go back into, into a toxic relationship. You should not go. If your husband beats you senseless and you left him, to God be the glory, you left him. Forgive him from your heart, but don't go back to that. You've been offended by someone, they've hurt you time and time again. Forgive them. Stay away from the relationship. And this whole forgive and forget thing is a load of hooey. No such thing. But forgiveness is the deal. Forgiveness is the deal. Unforgiveness 
is the destroyer. The concern here is our personal relationships, both with God and with other people. Once again, God brings out the importance of community, helping us understand that forgiven people are forgiving people, whether it's past, present, or future sin or offense. Matthew 6, 14, right after he prayed this prayer, this is, how, this is the next verse that Jesus said after he said, he said, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and glory forever. Amen. He said this, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So I'm asking you this morning to begin to take a deep look inside. I don't care how many times you've gone to confession, I don't care how many times, I don't care any of that kind of stuff, but it's irrelevant. I'm asking you today, is there unforgiveness in your heart towards someone that's wronged you? If so, there is a spiritual blockage in your life. Yeah, but Pastor Tommy said there's not a curse on my life. God doesn't put curses on us. But there are times because of our actions and our words that God has to withdraw his hand of blessing and step aside because he can't go where unforgiveness is because he's so forgiving that he can't, he can't entertain that. The stronghold of unforgiveness is one that nullifies the grace of God in our life. A stronghold is an argument believed. When we believe that our unforgiveness is justified and our, our bitterness is justified, the enemy has deceived us into thinking that we're okay hating someone and, and being bitter towards someone. Well, they did this horrible thing to me. I get it. But you've never walked where I've walked. I don't have to walk where you walk. I don't have to walk there. I just have to know the Bible. And I'm telling you, based on the word of God, God's grace will not go where unforgiveness lives. It will not go there. You wonder why you're crotchety and you're mean and you're nasty all the time, complaining about everything under the sun? Check your heart. There's probably some bitterness and unforgiveness floating around down there somewhere. We can't clothe ourselves in... in in discord and, and complaining and, and anger and meanness and still be covered in the grace of God. We shouldn't walk around with a chip on our shoulder all the time. Check your heart, there's unforgiveness there somewhere. You say, well, Phil, this is a harsh message for a Sunday morning. Well, we've already taken up the offering. It's okay. No, it's okay because at Generations United Church, we want to be people of the book. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's bring this to this thing. Let me kind of start landing this plane here. We're going to take communion here in just a moment. Charlie, why don't you go ahead and come, bud? 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul 
We always use it when we do communion, the Lord's Supper. He talks about on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and broke it and gave it to them. He took the cup and gave it to them, blessed it, and all this kind of stuff. And then toward the end of it, after he does all this, Paul says this. He says, for anyone who drinks of, the, of this cup and eats of this bread unworthily drinks damnation, drinks themselves into judgment. And for this reason, some are sick and others are dead. And growing up in, in this, I'd always heard people talk about, well, if you got, you know, I've heard the pastors go, if you've got sin in your life, don't take communion. Well, there's a problem there. <laughs> because every one of us in this room has got sin in our life. And so some time ago, I just started trying to wrap my head around this whole forgiveness, unforgiveness thing. And the more I've dug into this, the more I've realized that the entire communion, the Lord's Supper, is about relationships. When we take unworthily, it's not because we have sin in our life. We can't take worthily because we have sin in our life. But we're made worthy by the blood of Jesus. But let me just read you some passage from 1 Corinthians 11. I'm make a couple of comments and then we're going we're to go to the table together here. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three says, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The next verse is where we, what I was just talking about. For, for, so then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. And here it is. Never seen this before until just maybe a month or so ago. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ. He's not talking about the wafer. He's talking about the body of Christ, the people, humanity. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number have fallen asleep. The body of Christ is not the bread in this case, in verse 29, but other members of God's family. Are you discerning regarding yourself and others? Do you harbor unforgiveness towards someone? If so, in your mind and in your heart right now, don't wait, don't even think about it much, but make the choice and make the decision to forgive right now in Jesus' name. Now we're gonna sit at the table together here in just a minute. And I want you to do something with me. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads all over this room. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or anything like that, but I want you to think about this. Are you discerning the body of Christ? But the person that, that hurt me isn't a Christian. Irrelevant. Is there unforgiveness in your heart? Is there bitterness in your heart towards someone? 
Do you harbor unforgiveness because of the pain of your life and the pain of your past for something that someone did somewhere in your life, someone someone did yesterday, something that someone said to you, the way you were treated? Are you living in unforgiveness? Now, while your heads are bowed and your eyes closed all over this room, Charlie's going to be playing in the background. I'm going to ask our communion team to go ahead and come begin to serve this congregation. You don't have to look up. You don't have to open your eyes. They'll, when, the, when the trays come down the aisle, you just take it, bump the person next to you. They'll take it, take the cup and take the wafer and just hold it. But nobody looking around. This, while we're serving today, is a time for you to do some internal looking around in your heart in your mind, in your spirit. Are you discerning the body of Christ? Is there unforgiveness in your heart? Are you on the verge of drinking in an unworthy manner because of a broken relationship that you're still harboring unforgiveness toward?